Welcome to EM Guidewire, brought to you by the emergency medicine residents and faculty at Carolina's Medical Center in Charlotte, North Carolina. Welcome back to EM Guidewire, and good day to you all. I'd like to say what day it is, but I'm no longer oriented to place or time. I can barely claim to be oriented to person, and that's certainly questionable. Let's give it a go, though. I'm Sean Fox, and I'm coming to you from the J. Lee Garvey Innovation Studio Annex and the Department of Emergency Medicine at Carolina's Medical Center in Charlotte, North Carolina. For those of you that have been following us, you'll know recently, instead of our usual podcast consisting of several of our residents sitting in the same studio chatting about important topics from our recent emergency medicine conference, we've had to do our part and restrict our COVID cross-contamination potential and refrain from being in the same room. While this has altered our normal approach, it has also allowed us to produce some full presentations of high-yield and valuable COVID-19-related content. If you haven't already, I urge you to listen to recent episodes on vent management, hydroxychloroquine toxicity, neurologic complications of COVID, and of course, how vulnerable populations are being disproportionately affected adversely. Today, let's turn our focus on to some technology. Let's find out how we can avoid exposing our radiology techs to some of those contagious environments we work in by using our handy-dandy ultrasound skills. This one, as well as others, is also available to watch on emguidewire.com under the Global EM tab on the website. Please help us help others and share this content widely. Now, without further ado, Dr. Lamb from Carolina's Medical Center Ultrasound Division. I'm Patrick Lamb. I'm the ultrasound fellow at Carolina's Medical Center and then we'll spend the next uh, 20 to 30 minutes kind of talking about point-of-care ultrasound in COVID-19. Uh, I have no conflict of interest, and uh, as you know, COVID-19 is kind of like uh, quickly evolving, and so information that is, you know, this, the information today is as up-to-date as we can have it, but they might change the future, so, so kind of keep that in mind. Uh, so the objectives today, we're going to talk a little bit about image finding in chest x-ray and CT for COVID-19 kind of uh, remind you how to use point-of-care ultrasound in a patient who don't have or you're not suspecting COVID-19 versus uh, suspected COVID-19. We'll do a quick overview of uh, cardiac dysfunction in COVID-19 and the ultrasound finding uh, associated with it. And then the bulk of the the talk today will be really talking about the the, uh, long ultrasound findings in COVID-19. Uh, so, you know, incubation is about 14 days. It's SARS-CoV-2, uh, and then it um, develops as like a viral interstitial pneumonia uh, and then can progress or get complicated by ARDS, arrhythmia, uh, cardiac injury, or shock. Uh, so the diagnostic imaging modalities that are available for COVID-19, really chest x-ray and CT are the big one, uh, and we're trying to figure out what to do with point-of-care ultrasound. Now, uh, one of the things that you need to notice is that the findings in chest x-ray and CT really depend on the stage that you're in. And so patients who have that are either asymptomatic or have very mild symptoms might have completely normal chest x-ray or CTs. Up to 20% of, almost 20% of them can have normal uh, chest x-ray and CT findings as opposed to kind of like more severe disease uh, where only 3% uh, have uh, normal imaging. So chest x-ray kind of reviewing the literature, mostly coming out from China and Europe, uh, not super sensitive, uh, you know, sensitivity anywhere between 59 and 77 percent. 
the findings on X-ray tends to be this like patchy, diffuse, airspace opacity, uh, ground glass opacity, and kind of like interstitial abnormality. Uh, as opposed to CT scan, a lot more sensitive, a little bit more data coming from China. Uh, sensitivity was 97%, um, and then specificity, just, just 25%. And so the findings in CT tend to be this like ground glass opacity, uh, with or without consolidation, vascular thickening, thickened pleura, and then this crazy paving pattern, which is really just ground glass opacification with thickened interlobular septum. Uh, the distribution is, tends to be more bilateral, peripheral, and then tend to favor kind of like lower and posterior aspect of your, of your um, lungs, which is going to be important. Um, when they were doing all the CTs uh, in China and Europe, they found out that pleuroeffusion was very unlikely to happen, less lymphadenopathy, and really no like lung cavitation or, or lung abscess on, on CT findings. Uh, and these are just kind of like examples. I think you've probably seen some of those. So uh, you'll see that you'll have kind of like early in the disease, kind of like ground glass capacity. And really the thing that I want you to notice is this really is peripheral. It's like going all the way um, uh, to the pleura, uh, and so that will be important when we talk about ultrasound. And then as the disease progresses, you still have those ground glass opacity here, but you start having more consolidation again, uh, tends to be pretty peripheral uh, in terms of distribution. And I didn't mention, I can't see if uh, people are asking questions on the chat, so if you have any questions, just uh, hop on the mic and then let me know. Uh, so, uh, Jin kind of reviewed some uh, uh, CT findings through stages, uh, looking at a couple of research papers that were coming out of China uh, earlier this year, uh, and really he divided uh, the stages of COVID-19 into five phases. And so, the first one is this ultra-early stage where they found positive COVID-19 patients that were completely asymptomatic and they still had CT scans done on them. Uh, and you'll notice they'll have like maybe single, maybe some scattered ground glass opacity, but really nothing significant uh, on CT. Uh, as the disease progressed and patients started having, you know, symptoms for one to three days, uh, you move to the early stage. And so this is when you see a little bit more of your diffuse ground glass opacity, uh, bilateral, kind of like honeycomb-like thickened pleura uh, on, on each side of the lung. The next stage is the rapid progression stage. Uh, those are patients that have been symptomatic for like between three days and seven days. And you start seeing those like consolidation that are bilateral uh, and, then, and then just kind of getting worse. And the consolidation stage is your fourth stage. Uh, patients have been symptomatic for seven to 14 days and those small consolidations start getting really, really big and coalesce. And so you have these like uh, really big consolidation and then kind of like the small ones still exist in the periphery. And as patients improve, it seems like the findings are reversing. So uh, while they were having consolidation before, now you start seeing really ground glass opacity and then kind of moving toward like normal lung findings. But that took like two to three weeks after, after clinical onset. Uh, so because we talked about like the high sensitivity, some part of China like early on used CT scan as a screening a tool for the disease, uh, but I just want to make sure that everyone knows that the American College of Radiology does not recommend CT uh, uh, to be used as like a screening device or first-line test to diagnose COVID-19, and they also don't really want you to use CT to uh, try to like test or admit or, or, or use it uh, to guide your treatment process at this time. 
So we'll talk a little bit about point of care ultrasound in COVID-19. So for your patient who you are not suspecting COVID-19 and you still want to do ultrasound for other reasons, can I use your regular protocol and equipment, PPE pr protocol, and make sure that you clean your ultrasound uh, meticulously uh, once you're done with your exam. When you have patients who are suspected to have COVID-19, the big thing is we want to minimize uh, equipment exposure. So uh, try to use our handheld ultrasound. We have the butterflies deployed now. Uh, they're just like easier to clean. You can put like a sheet, if, especially if you have patients who are like intubated or having like aerosolized procedures. Uh, and then Dr. Belishev has created these ultrasound IV boxes that are sitting in major. And so those boxes are not meant to be taken in the room, really leave it outside of the room, pick the thing that you're interested, that you need for that, and then, and then uh, take it into the room. Uh, and then you'll have to clean the, the ultrasound uh, before and after using, uh, using it on the patient. Uh, just wanted a quick word. Uh, this is probably not something we need to do at this time, but uh, Dr. Weeks had uh, published a couple of papers back in 2016 about using uh, ultrasound to confirm placement of like central lines. And so the way he was doing it is using this like rate, uh, right atrial swell sign, uh, which is kind of turbulence in the right atrium that you can see either uh, with a subcostal or a apical foreview. And the way you do that is you flush 10 cc of saline in the distal port, and then you are looking for that sign within two seconds uh, in your right atrium. And that was 75% sensitive and 100% specific to proper placement of your central line. Uh, and so just kind of an example, so uh, this is a subcostal view. I labeled the chambers on the left side, so right atrium, right ventricle, which is kind of like what you're uh, concerned about. And then you can see kind of like this squirrel sign uh, coming into view. And so just because everyone likes arrow sign, I just put that up. Um, so, you know, this is not something that we need to use at this point. Uh, but I think once, you know, the panic really hits Charlotte, it's something to consider if we don't have easy access to x-ray and we just need to make sure that the, the central line is well placed. Uh, but this was a second study by Dr. Weeks, uh, kind of showing that, um, there was really no difference between, uh, uh, the right atrial swell sign and then chest x-ray for uh, central line position. All right. Uh, so we are noticing that patients are having more and more cardiac involvement uh, when they have COVID-19. Uh, these researchers look back at like some of the database coming out of China and they found out that 7.2% uh, of the patient had some kind of like acute cardiac injury, uh, cardiogenic shock, and then arrhythmia. And so that's just something we need to talk about just so that you're aware. Um, so the mechanism is pretty unclear at this time. Uh, they're talking about maybe systemic inflammation or causing like coronary plaque rupture. Uh, there's this like procoagulant effect. And so maybe you just are more likely to clot and then talking about this affinity for the virus to the uh, ACE2 receptors. Uh, but the big thing that we're starting to see is that patients are developing either myocarditis, pericarditis, or just cardiogenic shock um, concomitant with that kind of like COVID-19 lung pathology. Uh, so just to kind of review, so myocarditis can show up like differently. And so you know, the easiest one to notice is a patient that was completely healthy before, no, no 
cardiac uh, history, and then you see that their uh, cardiac systolic function is just really way down. So this is just a quick example. Also, you have your personal lung at the bottom, and you see that it's not squeezing very well. You see your anterior mitral valve leaflet not going up. This is your personal short, pretty minimal squeeze, and then your IVC being pretty uh, big and not, and not changing with respiratory variation. Uh, myocarditis can also show up as regional wall motion abnormality. So similar to like patients who have STEMIs, uh, but usually doesn't, doesn't always follow coronary distribution since this is a viral ideology. So this is a little bit more difficult to see. So I put in a normal personal short at the bottom left. So you see kind of like your left ventricle here, you see your two papillary muscles on each side and you really see that each part of the wall is contracting. Uh, appropriately, and then the wall are thickening as it's contracting, as opposed to kind of like on the top right side where, uh, you know, you're looking at the left ventricle again in personal short, but you notice that kind of like your anterior wall that is that is kind of like on the superior portion of the image is working normally, but maybe this inferior posterior wall is a little bit more sluggish and not squeezing the same way. And then at the bottom right, similar uh, ultrasound, personal short, but now it's kind of like the interior wall that is not moving. And you can really compare and see that it's, it's pretty noticeable when you compare it to the normal on the bottom left side. All right, the other thing that we notice is patients starting to have like viral pericarditis secondary to COVID-19. Uh, so, you know, you might see a little bit of pericardial thickening. I think this, is, this can be difficult to, to notice, uh, but pericardial effusion will be something that you'll notice more easily. Uh, and they tend to be more small and moderate in COVID-19. Uh, so this is just kind of like your view of the peristernal lung again with your pericardial effusion and you see that it's anterior to your descending aorta. So this is truly a pericardial effusion and not a pleural effusion. All right, so other things to consider, uh, you know, in terms of cardiac ultrasound is that ARDS can cause acute RV dilation uh, so does PE. And, and like we talked before, there, there's some questions about if there's like more cardiopathy with patients who have COVID-19. So you, you could definitely have acute PE and ARDS in the setting of COVID-19. Um, data is pretty scarce about that, but it's just something that people are starting to like pay more attention to. So just, just something to think about uh, when you're looking at the heart uh, in those patients. Um, be aware of like overfluid resuscitation in COVID-19 patients. Uh, when you see bilateral B-lines, you should, you should probably look at the heart and make sure this is not a heart problem. Uh, and if you see some cardiac dysfunction and bilateral B-lines, you, you should be pretty uh, cautious about fluid overload with those patients. All right, so the meat of the, the talk really today is gonna be about lung ultrasound and COVID-19. Uh, so the reason we're using lung ultrasound in COVID-19 right now is just because there were multiple studies before. Uh, this one was done by Dr. Long. Uh, it was a meta-analysis back in 2017, kind of looking at the diagnosis of pneumonia using ultrasound. And they found that the sensitivity was 88% and specificity was 86%. And so they felt that lung ultrasound was a good modality to look for, for those pneumonia. Uh, and then the thing that I mentioned before is that COVID-19 tend to favor peripheral processes, which is advantageous for like uh, lung ultrasound. So the specificity and sensitivity might be even higher for COVID-19 subset of patients. Uh, so there were a couple of studies that came out of China uh, regarding lung ultrasound. This is the first one. Uh, they look at 20 
COVID-19 positive patient, and then they were looking at lung ultrasound, and then based on their different stage of severity. And so the thing that they were finding in those patients is they had like thickened pleura with irregularities, uh, kind of like focal beelines to start with, and then more confluent uh, later in the disease, some consolidation, and then as they improve, uh, A-lines uh, were reappearing. Uh, and then the other thing that they noticed is that pleural effusions in general were, uh, large pleural effusion were, were really uncommon. Uh, the thing that was really nice about the study is they tried to compare the lung ultrasound with the CT findings on those same patients. And so they kind of figure out that if you see like thick and plural lung CT, you'll see similar uh, findings on lung ultrasound. Your ground glass um, findings in CT would be kind of like your more B lines. And as it's like infiltrating, they'll be more confluent. And then you could see your consolidation on lung ultrasound as well. Um, so that was just kind of like a neat little study to, to look at the at the similar findings. Uh, so this is another, another um, study coming out from China. This was a retrospective study on 20 different that were COVID-19 positive. Uh, and then the way they did it is they use a, a curvilinear and linear probe to look at the lungs. They look at 12 different areas on the lung and then uh, all those patients had CT uh, performed as well. And so the findings that they had, you know, B-lines were the most common. They had some like subflow consolidation, paramenumonic effusion, which is just like an effusion around that, that consolidation. And we'll talk a little bit more about it. Uh, and then like interpret pleura, pleural thickening. Uh, and then they used Doppler for that consolidation. Uh, and they found that that was, you know, uh, very common. It's just something that we don't use typically. So I'm really not going to talk about that uh, today. So I don't know if this makes sense. So uh, the same people kind of broke down where they would find like abnormal ultrasound findings. So on the left side of the screen, this is like your right lung. This is your anterior lung, lateral and posterior and same thing on the left. And so uh, the percentage is where they found the most abnormal, like the amount of abnormal ultrasound they found. And so really the big thing to notice is that like posterior inferior like wall is where you, they saw the majority of their abnormal ultrasound. So this is really an area you want to focus on and make sure that you get as much as possible when you're doing your long ultrasound. So for your probe selection, uh, really curvilinear is like kind of like low frequency. Uh, it's pretty decent looking at the pleura if you put the depth really shallow. Otherwise, you can use your linear probe to look, uh, to look at better resolution of the pleura. Uh, make sure you're neither thoracic or lung mode and preset on your ultrasound. Uh, and that's just because part of the way you are looking at lung ultrasound is, is looking at artifacts. And if you don't have those presets, your ultrasound is trying to remove all those artifacts, making it more difficult to, to notice. Uh, we're recommending people to uh, do it kind of like they're fast, like they're E-fast. And so stay perpendicular to the ribs. But if you start seeing something abnormal, you can go parallel to the ribs. You can get a bigger, bigger sense of what the pleura looks like. And then, when you're perpendicular to the ribs, uh, you'll have your indicator toward the head. So this is uh, Volpicelli's like 12 lung zone, uh, pretty extensive. Uh, you have kind of like your anterior, like superior inferior wall, uh, lateral, and then posterior. Uh, and so it's six view on each side. Uh, the way you would do this is usually do kind of like a lawnmower technique. So you can start from top to bottom or bottom to top, and you kind of like zigzag through and then if you see something abnormal, kind of stop and see if you can take a picture. And then you do this a few times and make sure you take a picture of each stone. Um, 
Lishan Klein, who was the kind of like grandfather of like long ultrasound, created this like blue point protocol, which is a little bit more streamlined. And this is the one that we are going to uh, recommend at this point. And so they're just looking at three views on each side, the upper blue point, the lower blue point, and this plaps point, which is kind of like your posterior lateral uh, view um, on your ultrasound. So we're just gonna review a little bit of like normal lung ultrasound first, and then we'll move into kind of like your more COVID, uh, like your typical COVID-19 findings. So normal lung ultrasound, uh, you know, normal lung signing, thin, smooth pleura, uh, and then you have your A-line. So we'll just kind of like pause this. So you have your rib, your rib shadow, your nice thin pleura, and then you see these A-lines, which are uh, just equidistant to the pleura every time. And that's just a marker of like normal uh, lung. Um, findings. So the findings in COVID-19 uh, are listed on the left. So you have this kind of like irregular pleura to start with the scattered B-lines and then those B-lines start to get confluent as the disease progress. Then you start having patchy consolidation with maybe paranormonic effusion, air bronchograms, and then eventually you kind of get this like large consolidation. Uh, and then just kind of reminder that you're less likely to see pleural effusion in general. And so as the disease progresses, you'll see more and more of those like lower findings. And as the patient recovers, you should start seeing uh, the needle moving the other way around. So uh, we'll go through some ultrasounds. So this is um, a long ultrasound uh, on the right side. So you can see this like interrupted irregular pleura. Uh, if you pause it here. Uh, and then your pleura is a little bit thicker and it's not quite as smooth, a little bit irregular, a little bumpy, uh, if you will. Um, and then, so, you know, this is a long ultrasound that was done parallel to the ribs. And so, you know, you can just see a little bit more of that pleura, but again, you see that that pleura is not like smooth and thin and it is also irregular um, this way. As the disease progress, you'll see kind of like the same interrupted pleura, but you'll see also these like scattered B lines, which is your artifact that are going from the pleura all the way down. So that's part of the reason it's important that when you do your long ultrasound looking for B lines, you really want to make sure that your depth is set at like 10 to 15 centimeters to make sure that you, you're catching that. Um, and kind of like the same findings. And so the COVID-19 tends to be a pretty heterogeneous disease in the lung. And so, you know, just notice that you can have some normal pleura on, you know, on one side, just adjacent to abnormal irregular pleura with those like B lines shooting down. Um, and then this is uh, what uh, some of the Chinese paper came out and called the waterfall sign. And it's just, you know, big B lines that are just coming all together and it's just hard to tell all the individual one. And so they just kind of call this, this waterfall sign. And again, irregular pleura next to kind of like more normal pleura, um, as you can see here. Uh, so as the disease progresses, you can get like a little bit of consolidation. So this was a ultrasound that was done earlier this week in our ER. Uh, and so I'm gonna freeze this. And so you can see a little bit of that shred sign uh, and we'll talk a little bit about it, but irregular pleura, you can see consolidation in the middle here that is like hypoechoic with like, again, your B lines kind of shooting down. Um, and this is another ultrasound of, of the same. It's just, again, parallel to the ribs. So you just kind of see a little bit better. Your, your ribs are not creating those shadows. And so you can get a little bit better 
uh, evaluation of your of your lungs. And so you see the shred sign where the pleura is uh, kind of stops and then kind of go down and up. Uh, and then you have B lines associated with it. You can have consolidation in the middle. And then those like bright white spots that you see in the middle, of those like hypoechoic area is just a little bit of air that is trapped in that diseased lung. Uh, and so those are like static air bronchograms. Uh, and then this is the paraneumonic effusion that I was talking about. So I'm going to come back and you can see that right above this pleura, there's a little bit of fluid before, before you reach up. And so between that parietal and visceral pleura, you can have a little bit of effusion, but it's not those like large effusion that you'll see at the, at the base of your lungs. Uh, but they tend to be kind of right around the, the consolidation that you'll see on ultrasound. Uh, this is another one that was done. Uh, and so this is your diaphragm. You're looking at the right side. Uh, and then you can see like large area of consolidations. And then if you pay attention, you still have those air bronchograms, but now you can see them kind of moving up and down as the patient is breathing. And those are just called dynamic air bronchogram and also pretty specific for pneumonia in general. Um, cool. So the advantage of uh, point of care ultrasound, obviously decreased exposure, you know, uh, patients don't have to get exposed to the tech, the machine, they don't have to be transported to CT, doesn't have to be decontaminated uh, kind of the same way. Uh, we know that there's good correlation between point of care ultrasound and CT findings, uh, and potentially it's more sensitive to chest X-ray uh, in COVID-19 patients. We just need a little bit more uh, data about that. And then the big advantage of point of care ultrasound is really being able to look at other things, you know, apart from the lungs. And so you can look at like cardiac dysfunction as well. Uh, so when do you need to use point of care ultrasound in COVID patient in our ER? Right now, our recommendation is for a patient who have undifferentiated dyspnea, uh, undifferentiated hypotension, and possibly down the road, if we don't have any more like labs or, you know, our labs or imaging resources are starting to get limited, this might be a modality that you can use. Uh, and then there are more and more papers looking at following those patients in the ICU, uh, and it's just looking at the burden of pneumonia, but, but again, not, not too much information at this time. Um, so in conclusion, uh, just want to remind you, ultrasound findings tends to be bilateral, uh, and then has a preference for this like posterior inferior lobe. So really make sure you get this posterior lobe. If you can sit the patient up or have them like turn around, try to go as posterior, that posterior uh, axillary line as possible to kind of catch that area of the lung. Uh, the curvilinear probe is probably your best probe to look at that. You can use your linear probe as well. Uh, we're not going to burden you with the 12 view um, lung ultrasound. I think the blue protocol with three view on each side should be enough to kind of catch the, the big stuff. And then, and then the findings again are, are reiterated on that right side. Uh, and so, you know, again, lung ultrasound, findings in COVID-19 are really not specific, right? Like you can see this in like pulmonary edema, bacterial pneumonia, pulmonary fibrosis, other viral pneumonia, lung contusion. And so, you know, ultrasound, just want to remind you that cannot rule in or rule out COVID-19 at this time. There's just not enough data to either use this as a triage or a prognostic tool. Uh, so just kind of be careful. We're trying to gather a little bit more information about that. But if you have no other reason to, to do a long ultrasound, I wouldn't just go in and do a long ultrasound to see what's, what's going on. Uh, and then these are my references. I don't know if you, have, if you guys have any questions. Thanks for listening to EM Guidewire. Go, be awesome today. 
Teams, he out.